0: anymore. But uh, yesterday was a good day, wasn't it? When the nation turned to God in prayer. And, you know, I know that we were watching here with uh, Jonathan Kahn and that group and then later I saw, uh, like online, I saw Franklin Graham's group and it looked like it was even a lot bigger. That's the way it kind of looked from the Videos I saw, or the uh, pictures I saw. So, and they, they weren't very far apart, Franklin Graham's group and uh, Jonathan Kahn's organization. And, and so there were, you know, tens and tens of thousands of people coming together to take our nation before the Lord and ask for his mercy and ask for his grace. So that's good. That's a good sign, isn't it? Good to see Christians gather. And come to the Lord and seek his mercy. Let's pray now. Father, we pray that you would now open our eyes to your word. We thank you for the the joyful songs that we can sing to you. And now we pray that you would build us up as we look into your word and want to know more about you and how you love us and how we should live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how Jesus was teaching his disciples and a big crowd was coming and he went up onto a mountainside and his disciples, he called them up to him and of course the crowd came up also and so they were listening to Jesus teach. They really loved his teaching because it wasn't like the uh, Pharisees or the teachers of the law that they were used to hearing. And he began by describing the person who is truly blessed by God. But it turned out to be that those who were truly blessed by God were according to Jesus' kingdom values and not necessarily mankind's kingdom values or earth's kingdom values. And so as he began to say who was truly blessed by God it didn't really line up real closely with what most people might think as being blessed by God. You know, if you ask the average person, you'd you'd probably feel that someone blessed by God would feel very satisfied having all their desires met. Then they would say, yeah, I'm blessed by God. It'd be somebody who would feel very safe and satisfied. Somebody well thought of by others. They would have that high level of self-confidence, which would lead to a high level of success, and they would think, yeah, I'm I'm blessed by God, or that person is blessed by God. Might even say a a person truly blessed by God would have this sense of being a winner not allowing anyone else to put you down, but you come out the winner, the victor. And then you think, yeah, I'm blessed by God. But then we saw where Jesus said, those who were truly blessed by God were the poor in spirit. And you're thinking, really? The lowly in spirit? Are those the ones blessed by God? And then he said, Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn? The grieving? Are they the ones that are blessed by God? He said, blessed are those who long for justice and righteousness. And the only reason you long for justice and righteousness is because you're not getting it, right? You're longing for it because it's not happening. And then he said... Blessed are those who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are the peacemakers. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, that seems like a lot of work. You know, to show mercy to everyone, to be pure in heart, always trying to promote peace. Do these characteristics sound like those that we exalt in our society? Do they sound like any of the celebrities that our our country worships, our society worships? But then Jesus goes completely off script when he says at the end, Blessed are you when you are persecuted, insulted, and falsely accused of evil. Now, how in the world could a person feel blessed? blessed by God if they're under persecution, if they're being insulted wrongly, if they're being accused falsely, and during all of that mistreatment, how could you be feel that you were blessed by God? Well, the answer really is, <clears throat> I left off three words at the end of that, and it's in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, and he says, <clears throat> excuse me. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And here's here's our three words. Because of me. That puts it into a whole different light, doesn't it? Because of me. They're doing it because of me. And then he goes on to say, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. So they're looking to the future, aren't they? For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And those were the great people of God, the great servants of God. But he said, blessed are you when you are insulted, falsely accused, because of me. Jesus is telling these people that are listening to him on the mountainside, that the truly blessed are those who come to him and come into his kingdom. Even though his kingdom doesn't look like the winning kingdom right now, in fact, it looks like the losing kingdom at times in this present age. His enemies hold all the power. <laughs> Should we start over? No. (laughs) It doesn't look like he has the winning kingdom. His enemies hold all the power of Jesus as he's on the earth during this age. The Jewish religious leaders parade themselves around, and you know that they're phony, and they produce a false holiness. They weren't lowly of spirit, were they? Yet they seemed like they were the winners at the time. And then when someone comes up and poses a threat to those people, they make certain that those people don't get anywhere or those people get disappeared. And you think of John the Baptist. Of course, he was beheaded by Herod, but he didn't really get anywhere with the Jews, the powerful. You think of Jesus, of course. Everybody loved him, but he didn't get anywhere with the the, uh, powerful. The religious leaders... Retain control. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who come to my kingdom or who, who are persecuted and falsely accused because of me. And then outside the religious leaders, you have the Romans who controlled the Holy Land, they held the ultimate power. That's why joining Jesus' kingdom really didn't look like that great of a deal especially at the time it was happening. Because you see, Jesus' kingdom is going to reign in the future. It's going to reign completely. There will be no there will be nothing coming against it that Jesus won't handle in a second. It's the future kingdom of God when Christ returns in all power and glory. And it defeats the armies of the earth. The armies of the earth are going to come and try to stop him. That's amazing. You know, when you wander off into sin, you start thinking things that are just totally ludicrous. And we can see that even today, can't we? People start thinking weird when they wander off into sin. But that will be at Christ's return. And that kingdom will last forever. And we will be blessed and we will be joyous and we will be serving the king We will be making trips to worship the king. But for this time, this age, the truly blessed are those who suffer for the name of Christ, who cling to Jesus Christ through all kinds of trouble and all kinds of corruption and inequity and mistreatment. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the weak who don't don't, uh, retaliate. Blessed are those who long for righteousness and justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that will be at Christ's return. And that will be our lives for all eternity. That's why we have to have new bodies, because our bodies can't last for all eternity. So we're going to get redeemed bodies fashioned for eternity, on an earth fashioned for eternity. But what about now? Do we just play doormat? Is there anything for us in this present age? Well, actually there is. It's in our next four verses. And so I'd like you to look at Matthew 5, 13 through 16. We're turning a big corner here. He says, you know, he's just talked to him about being persecuted, insulted, falsely accused but now he says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again of course it can't can it it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot because you just throw it out and then people walk on it you are the light of the world And now what he says their role is in this life. When Jesus identified the truly blessed, it didn't seem like that bright of a picture for us, did it? It didn't really seem like the description of a winner, someone what we might call a winner. But here, he tells his followers that they are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. Two of the most precious earthly elements at that time, and even now. But also we must heed the warning here. You know, salt was extremely valuable in the ancient world. But it could lose its saltiness, right? It could become worthless. And light was absolutely necessary, still is, But if it's not put where somebody can see it, it doesn't do any good, right? And so he's warning us at the same time that he's saying how important of a role that we have. So what does Jesus mean when he says his followers are the salt of the earth? Well, we're not going to go real deep, but salt was extremely valuable there. It was used medicinally. It was used to flavor food as a seasoning like it is today. It was used as a preservative. It opened up a whole new uh, way to make money because now they could travel and take food because it was preserved and and sell their food to other countries. So it made a great big difference. It was also used to prepare prepare sacrifices to offer to God. So it was used in a a way of worship. And so salt became a very valuable commodity, and even a form of currency in their trading. And they would also give it, you know, the the generals would give it to their soldiers as payment for certain things. Ancient peoples even built their communities in places where they could have access to salt mines. Usually that was a a body of water that had dried up. And in the Roman Empire, the reason they built some of their roads was so that they could get the salt to the capital city. So the purpose for building those roads were because of salt. And one source, ancient source, noted that caravans of 40,000 camels would travel 400 miles through the Sahara Desert to bring salt to inland markets. And sometimes they were selling salt, they were trading salt for slaves. The Latin word for salt was salas, from which came the word salary. So salt was used to pay people. So we know that salt was a very valuable element. And we know that Jesus is telling his people they are to be salt in their world that's their role is to be salt. And so now you kind of wonder, well does he mean we're supposed to be medicine for people? Are we supposed to be a preservative to keep our our society from, you know, going corrupt or rotten before the for its time? Are we supposed to be someone salted as if we're a sacrifice living for God? Like an Old Testament sacrifice? Or are we supposed to be a special flavoring to our world that attracts people to Christ? Whatever salt means, whatever Jesus is meaning in this passage by using the word salt, saying we're the salt, we're supposed to make certain that we don't lose its quality, aren't we? because we can he says if you become if you're not salty anymore it's worthless and whatever Jesus is saying here he's saying that we have a very very special role to play because salt was so important in those days what he's saying is followers of Christ are very val- a very valuable element in their societies If we don't lose our saltiness. So, what is this saltiness that we Christians are supposed to be exuding? Well, here it is, and we Christians are the ones who are empowered to do it. The saltiness is the person and presence of Christ that comes out from us to others. It comes out through our actions and through our attitudes and through our speech. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Colossians 4, 5, and 6, it says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Jesus says, have salt in you. It comes out through all different you know, ways that we interact with people and the way that we carry on our lives. It's a special part of who we are as followers of Christ. We might say it's the added flavor of having the mind of Christ, of having the indwelling Spirit of God, Of having that hope of eternal life living right inside of us. That is there all the time. We know that we have eternal life. It flavors our speech, our thoughts, our attitudes, our care for others. It tells us that we have something in the future. It dictates our morals in a society where morals are slipping. You know, people notice it in Christians. It impacts them. You've heard stories of people who are watching a neighbor Christian, and then when they got in trouble, they went to that neighbor Christian. Some people are befuddled by it, even, because we come from a whole different mindset. We're supposed to come from a whole different mindset, aren't we? But it's what Christ placed in us and placed us here to be and do the salt of the earth. But you know he also warns us not to lose our saltiness. So, how does that happen? How do we stop it from happening? Well, it depends on what we allow to influence our lives. What's coming into our lives regularly and causing us to act one way or another? What sort of TV shows do we watch? What kind of movies do we watch? What kind of books do we read? What people do we allow to influence us? What kind of work environment are we in? How does it affect us? What kind of school environment are we in? Are we just going along with the crowd? Are our closest friends, those who love Christ and don't really care to follow him? How does that influence us? We've got to see what is influencing us and see how much it is. And then how much are we in the scriptures? Do we read our Bibles daily or almost daily? Because, you know, God has given us his Holy Spirit and he's given us his word which was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and when we spend time in God's Word, in prayerful dependence upon Him, upon the Spirit of God, we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, growing in Christ is a slow, steady growth with an attitude of submission increases our saltiness. All of it transforms us more and more into the image of Christ and allows us to remain salty. You know, when I became a Christian as a young adult, I had so far to go to think like a Christian. Now, I I did not get raised in in a horrible home but my mind and thinking were in need of so much cleansing and transformation but my friend who became a christian a few years before and we we knew each other growing up he introduced me to jesus christ and he kept me in the word of god he spent a lot of time with me and we prayed he took me to church he played Christian tapes for me to hear sermons. He took me with him as he witnessed to others about Christ. And I just heard him speak to people. Sometimes he'd just meet them and tell them about Christ. And I would hear the gospel message from different parts of the Bible. And then he took me to the Bible college he was attending. <clears throat> It was a small college, and he introduced me that day to the college president, the vice president, and the chaplain. Can't do that in a big university, can you? And they all encouraged me in my new faith. I met a number of students. I even met my future father-in-law, and he had gotten saved at a later age. And he was finishing college there. And my friend started a Bible study where he invited you know, mature Christians and then those who were, he was trying to reach. And Laura was in that Bible study. If I would have accepted Christ and just been left to myself, I, who knows what would have happened. But all of this discipleship gave me an enormous opportunity to grow in my new faith and become salty and if I would have drifted back to my former life I would have just lost all that saltiness but we are the salt of the earth we are very valuable to our communities, our societies the things that we join up to We have a very, very important role to fill in this age as we're waiting for the kingdom. We are to bring out that special flavoring of Christ, that exceptionalism from Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says that we are the light of the world. And you think, wow, how important is light? I mean even more than dark, even more than salt, right? And then how horrible is darkness. <clears throat> and how wonderful it is when you're in the darkness and you finally find the light, right? But why does Jesus call us the light of the world? Well, you know, first of all, Jesus is the true eternal light of the world, isn't he? John 8, 12. <clears throat> When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, if we keep following Jesus, we are in the light and we won't have to walk in the darkness. Coming to Jesus leads us out of the darkness. You know, today people battle with so much darkness in so many different areas of life. And when I talk about this darkness, there's different kinds you may talk about. I'm mostly talking about the uncertainty, the confusion leading to anxiety and a feeling of, of lostness. Where am I going? What am I doing here? What's right and wrong? And because it's happening a lot because in our society we're moving further and further Away from Christ, away from the true light, where our nation used to be so much more common, you know, for things to be Christian influenced. And so we've moved far away now. And now we're confused about what true manhood and true womanhood is. As a society, we're confused about what is the purpose of marriage. And so many people are saying there is no purpose. And what subjects schools should be teaching our children? And who's right and who's wrong? Is it the uh, protesters who are burning down buildings? Some are saying they're the right ones. And the police who are trying to stop them, some are saying they're the wrong ones. How did we get here? How could you even question that? When you start walking away from Christ... You can't think. You start losing your ability to reason. Who is a true male and who is a true female? We're asking those questions. Who should be allowed to use which bathrooms? Should millionaire athletes and actors be scolding us for the inequities in our society? You know, we are facing so much darkness as we move further and further from the light as a society. Which makes Jesus' words so much more relevant. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again... Jesus tells them, going back to the verses we saw, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. See You don't put a town on a hill and then try to hide it. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus wants us to know who the true light is so that we can let others see that Jesus is the true light and that they can come to the light and then we can be the light for others. Ephesians chapter 5, 8 and 9 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord live as children of light for the fruit of light of the light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth <clears throat> and then proverbs chapter 4 says the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining brighter to the full light of day but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness they do not know what makes them stumble <clears throat> They don't even know what makes them stumble. And they just keep going further and further, even though it's not getting them anywhere, but it's, it's destroying what they're doing. They just keep going further. But we, we can lead people to the light. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's telling their, his disciples, don't hide your faith. People don't place a lamp under a bowl. Allow the light of Christ to shine before others. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, we know that doesn't mean to boast of ourselves, does it? <clears throat> because we know that our light comes from the true light. And of ourselves, we have no light. We want them to find the true eternal light. But we lead them to the true light through our light, which comes from Christ, right? And that's to our neighbors, to people we work with, to people we rub shoulders with, maybe through committees or clubs or activities. We do acts of kindness. We help someone in need. We call on someone who's been through a trial. We fix a meal, run an errand, give somebody a ride. Invite someone over. Volunteer to babysit. Now, <clears throat> I know most of you know this already. I'm just saying things you already know. And most of you do this, have done this. But I think sometimes we just need to say it again to ourselves. To keep us focused in the right direction. To remind us how valuable we are in this age for the kingdom of God to remind us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, you know, Jesus calls us the light of the world and salt of the earth. Now, I would be scared to death to say that about myself if Jesus hadn't said it. I mean, how in the world can I say that I am the light of the world? (laughs) Or even a part of that light. Only because Jesus said it, right? <clears throat> so we go out and we show, we show people who Jesus is and what he's all about. And we do it through good deeds. And we do it through helping people and through kindness, through sharing, through speech seasoned with salt. Through breaking out of our cocoon, by taking risks. Because why? Why? because we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that is all according to the plan of God. So, you know, we may not be dazzling celebrities that people fawn over and ask to be taken their picture with. I don't like people taking my picture anyway, but... <clears throat> But God has given us enormous role to play in this present age because we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making this so clear in your word because it's hard to imagine us being light and salt and being so valuable in this world. But it's only because of you. And we thank you for taking us into your confidence in this way. And we pray that you would help to make us faithful and wise and cognizant of this and realize our role in this world. And let us help as people are just wandering into darkness and getting further and further away from sensibleness. And Lord, may we be that light. And may we be the flavor of christ as we do good things and helpful things and care caregiving things we pray all this in jesus name amen